1: 18
2: plus Jonathan Payne and Martin Borosh welcome to Token Theater Friends thank you for joining me uh so we can get started can you describe what address list is for our viewers and our listeners
0: yes
3: do you want to go first Jonathan <laughs>
0: I guess I can. Uh, The idea started with Martin and I picked up the mantle, um, but uh, basically what uh, Dressless is at its heart uh, is uh, an experience that uh, helps helps audiences understand what homelessness is in New York. And uh, that is portrayed through uh, three characters who uh, all experience uh, housing insecurity in some way. And the audience is in, sort of in charge or working with them towards making decisions in their uh, daily lives. Um, um, the, ask, the hope is that they can earn enough money for housing. So a lot of these decisions are around uh, whether they'll earn money or maintain their health. Um, and uh, yes, and hopefully they earn housing by the end of, of the experience.
3: And uh, as, as a genre, maybe we can refer to it as an interactive online play mm-hmm. um, because, uh, because it's an immersive experience that people can take part in. Uh, via Zoom, and it features a lot of pre-recorded scenes uh, and interactive parts as well. And uh, uh, it's essentially, it's a contemporary (laughs) computer theatrical game uh, that I sometimes call a strategy or survival game also because of the above mentioned reasons. And, uh, but it's also, some kind of a democracy game, because uh, uh, as Jonathan described, the audience is divided to teams and they represent their fictional characters. And in certain dilemmas, they need to get a consensus. So uh, they often vote and uh, there's a collective will that will decide upon. Besides fortune about the fate of the characters.
2: I'm really fascinated by the structure of the game, because when I experienced addresses, I kind of felt like it was the anti-monopoly. And it made me feel really guilty about playing Monopoly and like fighting with my brothers when I was little over fake (laughs) dollars While here, what we have is, you know, the stakes, the lives of actual people are up to us and what decisions we help them take. Can you talk a little bit about how you were able to cope with that, with creating this game structure and letting go of the fact that once the audience comes into participation, the stakes of your characters are no longer up to you, but to what the audience decides to do?
3: Maybe I should give a little context about the history of the performance because that can um, give a key. So generally some of the game structures were inherited from an actual board game that was developed uh, back in Hungary by a group of social workers, sociologists and uh, people with lived experience with housing insecurity or homelessness and uh, this uh, structure that jonathan described whether you risk health or risk uh, f- uh, your financial um, stability uh, at certain points was part of that game already uh, but not the scenes so that was that was some sort of an anti monopoly game uh, but with a lot of uh, Research behind of it and and a lot of expertise, and uh, this is the structure we borrowed for the sake of the theatrical event. And uh, for me personally, it it was helpful in terms of uh, not finding it a bizarre idea that uh, we are transponing people's life into points and. Uh, and uh, refer to life expectancy or energy as points and uh, and uh, monetary consequences as it was just gave me points. And also, a great excuse for, for people to take part in something that's not uh, dictated by um, pity or sorrow, but it's actually they are part of a an entertaining, joyful, collective experience. That's also very meaningful, but they, uh, at the same time, can be confronted with, uh, with what reality is and what uh, what can only happen within the framework of the game. Mm-hmm.
0: It, it's been fascinating to see it. Um, functioning. Uh, uh, Martin had the pleasure of seeing it live in front of an audience Um, and this is my uh, first time seeing it in front of an audience and I I think uh, the magic of that structure is when I see people respond to the outcomes um there's a lot of like oh no or you know there's a lot of like yes i you know i'm happy that happened or there's a lot of rooting for the characters and the, and that's what's really exciting and almost moving to see is that there are people who are thinking about these characters and their situations and trying to support them to the best of their abilities in a structure that is um, unknown to them and is uh, harsh and unforgiving. Um, And I I think watching people respond the way they do um, to outcomes is really at the, the heart of the experience because, they are looking, they are looking through that person's eyes. They are responding to those moments in, in real time. Um, so uh, I, I think that's the magic of the structure. I think as the playwright, I was very focused on thinking about the characters and the situations that they were coming across and using my experience as a social worker during the day. Um, and. Uh, yeah, adapting those stories into the play. Um, and so uh, that was a lot of excitement is building those moments and uh, guiding people towards making those decisions um, and the surprise of those decisions.
2: Yeah, I was very stressed when there's a point where one of the characters is being urged to jump the turnstile on the subway. And I cannot think of anything more uh, stressful in New York City. Then figuring out if you want to do that, if you're something that you even want to try. Because as the as the show points out, there is um, a, a discrepancy in the number of times, for instance, that a person of color, a black man, for instance, would be stopped by the cops if he does that than if a drunk white teenager does it. So that yeah. was yeah, I was I was biting my nails when that was happening. And I I wanted for you to talk a little bit about. Uh, when you started a show Martin in 2016 in Hungary, was were there parallels with the ways in which people in Hungary and in Europe see um, homelessness and homeless people compared to the way in which uh, Americans see it?
3: yeah, this is this is a very crucial question, I think. Um... So I think there is there is a there is a misleading uh, image that that we often think of when we hear the word homelessness, and I think it's no difference between how European or uh, an American person would uh, think about this. So this image that um, that um, implies mostly those people who live on the streets, people who struggle with uh, mental health issues, people who struggle with addictions, and uh, no matter how um, liberal or well-informed the society is, if you, if you don't have the, the, the overview on uh, this structural question that it's, it's really connected to, to housing politics and, and social politics, And it's essentially, if I want to oversimplify it, it's about low wages and unaffordable or lack of affordable houses. It's really a a very complex question, way more complex than uh, that most visible segment of the homeless society, uh, because we often forget about families uh, who are homeless or people who couch surf so they actually have a roof sometimes above their heads, but uh, it's not a, a predictable way of living. Or or all those people who go to work every day, but uh, they have to go to work from a shelter or from a transitional housing. So um, I think there is there there are these stereotypes. Um, in, in Hungary that 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 was one of the reasons why we thought that we need to fight against uh, prejudice and uh, and also sometimes people don't see their responsibility in this whole structural uh, uh, complex problem uh, and in terms of the reception of the piece I see some similarities because it often happens that uh, some of the teams cannot win the game. It's not impossible to win it, uh, but it's hard because you need a good strategy, a lot of luck um, and, and good partners and people who listen to you. So it's a little bit in this terms, it's similar to homelessness. Uh, when people don't get to win the game, they feel it very unfair. Uh, how come that uh, I'm a frequent reflected theater goer, I have free diplomas and I wasn't able to win this game Well, it's sometimes the system that has the problem within it and it's not your fault as much as it and that that's the reason why victim blaming is is not a way to approach this question and and some of these elements or motives I I recognize or yeah I, I recognize when, when I talk to people in the States, too.
0: Yeah, I think the, the the interesting part of it was I was approached by uh, Daniela at Rattlestick uh, to take over the adapting of this play. And so I was handed this tome and I looked through it and I was like, oh, uh, we are speaking the same language. There is no, there is very little difference here. This is all familiar and. This came all the way from Hungary. And so that's what was striking to me is that Martin and I, we can meet in New York City and we can have the same language around homelessness, which, you know, that translates to, uh, you know, a a macro view of how we handle uh, homelessness in society. Um, And that was the most fascinating thing to me.
3: But also we needed to change the characters entirely, because uh, that was not the most relevant, the original setup to New York context. And there were some motifs that were important in the original script, such as a street paper that's uh, written and edited and distributed by homeless people. Uh, And I think at least three of our scenes in the Hungarian version were inspired by the content of this paper and the whole phenomena. Uh, So that was something we very early on decided to uh, cut and and replace with other more pressing um, motives.
2: The evening that I attended, the performance that I attended, I was really fascinated by the fact that several concepts came up and some audience members, some of my fellow audience members, had no idea what things like couch surfing meant, for instance. So I wonder for the two of you, when you were working on the piece, were there any concepts that surprised you? Things that just like, you know, like, uh, threw you out of, uh, you know, the, the oh, wow, I had no idea that this was a thing. Mm.
0: Mm. It it's fascinating to me because my background wasn't in social work, I, I went to NYU and I was on this theater trend for a bit and a friend, uh, I was having trouble finding work and a friend was like, why don't you try social work? And I was like, that doesn't make any sense and why would I do that? And so um, it took me three years to find a job and when I shifted into social work, um, that's when I found a job quite quickly, which was interesting and so um, I, I think, what is fascinating about the play is that the audience's experience is very much my experience of sitting with people who were formerly homeless and have their first apartment uh, after a long long time or never and helping them make decisions towards independence Um, and so that 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 is what Uh, So a lot of the play is a lot of the stuff that surprised me back in, you know, back in the time in in terms of um, how homelessness can come about, how homelessness has a a, a wide sort of definition. It's not just the, you know the the typical wino in the corner. You know I could be homeless. You know there was probably a period where I was close to being homeless. I remember having to move because of bed bugs and trying to find an apartment in a few seconds and. Um, landing on a place but wasn't sure how I was going to pay for it and I remember the apartment wasn't even finished and I was like sleeping in this bathroom sleeping in like sleeping in the only space that was available to me in the apartment because they were still working on it and I was like what is you know how did I get to this place how did I get here with all of my degrees and all of my experience and all of my background how can I end up in this place and I think uh, that is what is surprising, is how close homelessness can be to people. Um, uh, yes, the diversity of housing and security.
2: I was hoping you could talk a little bit about uh, what was it like to work together remotely? You know, What were some of the pros and cons of putting a play together and an experience together from different continents?
3: So in a sense, like we all experience working in fr- in front of a screen and uh, and scheduling Zoom meetings and or I think back then we started on Skype. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so scheduling meetings and uh, and be spending so much time in front of a screen and not having that natural energy that comes through from an in-person meeting and all that. It's very exhausting. At the same time, it was possible because uh, I didn't actually write a word in this script. We were brainstorming on Uh, what the dilemmas, the conflicts, the arcs of the scenes, the characters, and so on can be, but then Jonathan was the one who put it on the paper and came up with an actual scene that we were able to reflect on, and -hmm. then just like any other feedback session, we were talking about, we read it, we uh, analyzed it, and, and continued brainstorming, so it was somehow natural organic to this working style to only meet up from time to time and we were we didn't need to sit in the same room for eight hours every day so that that's why it was even possible to find our way in this remote method of working
0: yeah and I and since it started years ago um, we were able to we had a little gathering together where we workshopped for a week or so. And I think that was a good space to uh, build a rubric of how things would function and work. And so, and that was before the pandemic. So when the pandemic hit, we had already had a way of working through uh, by screen. Uh, Yeah, and distance. Um, So, and it, it, it was great in a sense because I already had someone who, knew how things worked. And so I could write stuff and, you know, I would go to the guru and Martin would say, well, I don't know about this, or maybe this wouldn't work and maybe we need to think about that. And so uh, it it was a great process in a sense that, A, usually as a playwright, you're sort of alone in a room and creating something, but this was great in the sense that I could go write and then come back and say, you know, what about this? <laughs> you know, so uh, that was, uh, Uh, a great and a cool process that i will most likely miss as a playwright in terms of yeah creating a piece of theater
3: and also we had a series of consultations with experts uh, Mm -hmm. such as social workers uh plenty of times and, uh, and it was also great to be able to digest and process it together and and uh, have someone to re- reflect on and uh, and uh, yeah, to to get inspired uh, by these meetings.
2: I want to talk about the audience for a little bit because, like, I was reading uh, in the mission of Tereo Act, your theater company, Martin. You uh, point out how important it is to have an audience and how the play is not necessarily a play until the audience shows up and there's an exchange of energy. So I wonder, what's it like to work, to be a working theater artist during uh, the pandemic when so many performances have had to become digital works? Has that changed the way in which you deal and the way in which you approach and what you expect from the audience? And -hmm. the same for you, Jonathan, because you've seen your plays with people in the theater and now you you know when you're with people you're at home and they're in their own homes as well.
3: I think a reason why people go to theater or take part on performances in any genre is to to allow themselves to get engaged and and uh, uh, allow the piece to affect them. So no matter we are talking about a film or a theatre or an online piece that's uh, somewhat live, but still we watch it through a screen, um, the, the goal is to find forms that are able to engage people. And I think when when it comes to screen, we, we obviously can't just make a performance that we are recording with two or three cameras and show the stage because it turned out I guess for those who have hasn't had that experience uh, latest uh, last year when most theater try to find ways to engage their audiences so I think um, in in terms of addressless the interaction is what really, uh, keeps the performance alive and uh, we found this dual format that we have the pre-recorded videos that allows uh, more dense rhythm, uh, better processed um, material. We were able to place uh, some design, um, animations, graphics uh, to, to film the scenes in a studio space, uh, edit it adequately and so on, but at the same time we needed the live element of it too, so the audience really feels not just as spectators but also as the creators of the event of, and, and their own experience which is really important to me and for this project. Um, and um, in terms of other stereo pieces, we normally, uh, in the last two years, we worked on concepts with uh, this two simultaneous tracks, and we were thinking about also the live version and also an online version, and sometimes it, it's, it's every single time an adaptation, so you can never do the same thing uh, on, in both ways. Um, but I must say that there are some positive outcomes of uh, learning the ways and experimenting with the ways of making work for online, because um, although maybe tickets don't get cheaper magically, just because it's online, but uh, people who live in other cities can also see the works, which is uh, a great benefit, for example. so accessibility also comes to image and uh and maybe people start consuming um, other um, from other sources where they normally would mm-hmm. just to give a very broad answer mm.
0: yeah, it was very hard for me when the well a lot of people when the pandemic hit but i i because I came into the theater, I went to see a play and I was sitting amongst these people and we were, you know, we were breathing it in and listening and reacting in in real time. And uh, as as someone who grew up quite uh, shy and on his own and, uh, you know, didn't socialize too much, I I think that space became very magical and important to me. And, you know, it, it was the theater that that opened me up, that uh, helped me speak to people and make friends and all of that stuff. So that space is very uh, sacred to me and uh, the pandemic landed and I was sort of like, well, you know, what does that mean for this sacred space? Um, And, and, you know, theater found a way. My, my my wife is a scientist and she's like, theater is dead, you know, and I'm like, well, no, it always finds a way. You know, I think of those troops, uh, I don't know, wandering through England in those carts and, you know, presenting pieces to, you know, the, the tiny folk, um, it always finds a way. And it's been uh, really moving to see how people react to this play. Um, And to still see a sense of community, even though it's in the digital sphere, um, that people can interact and react in real time and, uh, you know, even have the power to stop the play sometimes and be like, you know, wait a minute, uh, I think that person has more money than you say that person has, you know, Uh, so... Uh, you know, I, I, I see Shakespeare and I see those people, you know, in the front shouting at the actors on the stage. So um, it, it's been hard on the theater community, I can imagine. But I, but I, yeah, that belief that theater cannot die and it always finds a way.
2: I wonder if the two of you are comfortable sharing about some, you know, new practices that you've discovered yourself engaging in. Because uh, during the pandemic, have you taken up any I don't know new instruments? Have you learned how to do some sort of craft? Have you taken up any skills
0: at home? Hmm. For me, uh, the when the pand- when people were sheltered in place, that was when my son was born. <laughs> so. Uh, I spent the pandemic in a one-bedroom apartment with a newborn and visiting in-laws. And we were all trapped together in a space (laughs) um, and creating our own theater. Um, But I think a lot of that focus has been trying to figure out where writing lives as a parent um, and how to also be there for my family, um, as well as my day job, which is uh, which is social work. Um, So a lot of telephone calling people and all that stuff. So um, I think a lot of the time was spent trying to figure out how do I remain a playwright? Um, And this play has been very helpful in terms of yeah, revisiting writing and actually having something. I'm very lucky in that sense that I had something to work on and focus on and uh, push towards production. So um, I, I think the hobby has been my son and <laughs> tried to figure out writing at the same time, um, as well as uh, being pushed into more screen TV writing and stuff like that, um, so. Uh, I think that's been my life during the pandemic so far. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. Congratulations on your baby.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, We can track how long the pandemic is by uh, my son's birthday, who will be (laughs) two years old in March. So it's pretty crazy.
2: (laughs) Uh, What about you, Marvin? Uh, So I think
3: the... The life of the pandemic was very different, or the the tendencies of the waves was very different in Hungary. And the first wave didn't hit that hard Hungary. And uh, and there was always this small little silences before the storm uh, over and over again, before a second, third, fourth, fifth wave. Hit, um, and and somehow I was very lucky to to be able to keep working, and um, one of the very significant uh, plays I worked on uh, was about care workers and about the crisis of care work, and I think this probably our focus would have been different if there wasn't for the pandemic. So it served as a as a as a very obvious uh, theme it's it's another piece where there were uh, non-professionals with lived experience uh, incorporated and uh, and in other ways in the, in the formal in the sense of in terms of forms um, we also uh, produced a site-specific piece which uh, was Way more flexible for a smaller audience outdoors, so something that's a little more COVID-proof, but also something that's uh, been uh, uh, interesting uh, for me uh, throughout my career, and also uh, we filmed two short films that, and those, and that kind of attitude, that kind of methodology, that kind of view. Uh, that skill was also helpful uh, in terms of um, sharing our works and uh, and creating streamable versions for for given productions.
2: And I, I think one of the great things about Addressless is, is that it's a, it's really a show that you can you know attend repeatedly on different occasions because every time you're going to end up with something different, right? So with that in mind, can you would you like to invite our viewers, our listeners, to go to Addressless
0: at stick Well, yes, uh, you know, please come and support. Uh, we've uh, worked hard on Addressless, and uh, specifically in the pandemic, when the show was created to be presented in front of uh, a live audience, um, the staff and people really came together to make this digital piece, um, and uh, we have a great we have a great cast, and uh, we have a social worker named Hope Beaver, and a, a person with lived experience named Shams De Baron, otherwise known as the homeless hero. And uh, these are uh, great sort of sources, and uh, and and uh, great people to have in the piece. And so we run till February thirteenth, and uh, we'd love to see you there.
2: Thank you, Jonathan Payne and Maren Borosh. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope to talk to you again in the future and best of luck.
0: Yes. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Jose.